Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's special program of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Evelyn Dilsaver. I'm chair of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors and your moderator for this program. The Commonwealth Club has, of course, shifted from in-person programs to virtual events, and we are grateful for the support of our viewers like you. We appreciate your considering donating to the club, and if you wish to do so, please text the word DONATE to 415-329-4231 or visit the club's website at commonwealthclub.org. We also want you to remind you to submit questions for our guests via the chat room next to your screen, and I'll get to as many as possible later in the program. Now tonight, I'm excited to have a conversation with two of the club's 2020 Distinguished Citizen Honorees, Dennis Wu and Mike Sanjacomo of Recology. Tonight, we honor both Recology, the company, and its leadership. Now, normally, we would be honoring our Distinguished Citizens at an in-person live gala. However, our gala this year, like everything else, will be virtual, and that will be on October 16th. So we decided to hold separate programs for our honorees to showcase their special talents and our special distinguished citizens. Now, Recology has been and continues to be a friend of the Commonwealth Club, helping us with our campaign to build our headquarters a couple of years ago, providing waste disposal for our building, and through their artist in residence program, providing our boardroom table, which is made from reclaimed walnut trees. Recology's mission represents a fundamental shift from traditional waste management to resource recovery, developing sustainable practices that can be implemented globally. Recology has more than 45 operating companies that provide integrated services to more than 889,000 residential customers and 112,000 commercial customers in California, Oregon, and Washington. And farmers across California and Oregon use Recology's organic compost for fruit, vegetables, flowers, plants, and vineyards. And uniquely, Recology is also 100% employee-owned. As president and CEO uh, since 1980, Mike Giacomo has led and inspired many of the company's innovative recycling and diversion programs. He also serves as a director and executive officer of Recology subsidiaries, and he holds a, a bachelor's degree in business administration from the University of San Francisco. So he's a local guy. And Dennis Wu has been chair of Recology's board of directors since 2013. He's one of San Francisco's best known business executives, a longtime leader among Asian Americans in the Bay Area. Dennis was born in the Philippines of Chinese ancestry, and he's a retired partner of Deloitte and currently the managing partner and co-founder of Wu Hoover, a CPA advisory firm. He also happens to be past chair of the Commonwealth Club's board of governors He's a CPA in the state of California and received his bachelor's and MBA in accounting and finance from the University of California at Berkeley. So welcome, Mike and Dennis, and congratulations. And I'd love for you to hold up your awards so the audience can see how uh, the fabulous awards that you've gotten. Super, thank you. And now I'd like you to see a few quick videos of congratulations from some of your fans. So congratulations, guys. So let's get started. Uh, Mike, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about Recology. And not only have you worked for over 30 years there, but you're a descendant of a company founder. So what does that sense of history mean to you? So congratulations, guys. So let's get started. Uh, Mike, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about Recology. And not only have you worked for over 30 years there, but you're a descendant of a company founder. So what does that sense of history mean to you? So Recology uh, was founded by some Italian immigrants, uh, people who came from the area around Genoa and Northern Italy, uh, starting around the gold rush. Um, some of them found work picking up stuff that other people were, were through with, uh, things that were broken and they could repair. They, they ended up being called scavengers uh, because of what they did. And eventually we believe that uh, Someone said, 
if I pay it, can you take all this other stuff away too? And over time, there were hundreds of these folks that finally, through some encouragement from the city of San Francisco, got together, formed, ended up being two companies. Uh, the oldest one is Sunset Scavenger in San Francisco. The other is called uh, Golden Gate Disposal now. Uh, Sunset uh, was formed on September 20th of 1920. We are going to be 100 years old in just a few days. Uh, we're, wow. we're celebrating our trying to celebrate our 100th <laughs> anniversary this year. It's a little difficult uh, uh, when we're when we're not being able to get get together. But we have been a waste collection company forever that has focused on finding uses for things that people get rid of and. Well, the company was originally formed by a bunch of individuals who all became equal owners in the business. Um, over time, that changed until the mid-1980s when an employee stock ownership was formed that would uh, eventually acquire the interest of both Sunset and Golden Gate and other businesses that they had acquired uh, to form what we now call Recology, um, which has... 3,800 employee owners spread throughout California, Oregon, and Washington, and provide service to somewhere around 140 communities in those three states. Um, yeah, the, the, to me, the history, uh, my, my grandfather was a scavenger back in as early as 1905 or 1906, not sure exactly when. My dad's oldest brother began doing it in 1911. He was one of the founders of Golden Gate Disposal. Um, just understanding where we come from, why these people came and did what they did, and, and the opportunity it gave them and others like them uh, to have hard jobs that provided an essential service, but created decent livings for them and their families, and that we're able to continue that today for a lot more people, um, very diverse ethnic group of, of people who come from all areas of life who want to do valuable things, valuable service for the community. That's great. Now, you know, employee owned, not very many companies are employee owned. So what's that structure mean? And what other industries do you think it would really be useful to have employee owned um, structure? Well, there, there are a variety of forms of employee ownership, um, outright ownership of shares, um, uh, you could have a uh, cooperatives, those sorts of things. Our, ours is something called an employee stock ownership plan. It's a plan sanctioned under uh, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA. Um, very formal obligations of what the companies need to do and how, to, how, you, how you treat uh, the participants in the plan. Um, it, it, it could work almost anywhere. Um, the, the, big, the big restriction, obviously, is going to be capital. So capital-intensive industries are less likely to, to, to become 100% employee-owned, um, although you can, have, you can have a much smaller percentage of employee ownership. It's just spreading the wealth among, among people that do the work and hopefully getting across the feeling that you're all in this together and the, more you, the better you each do your job, uh, the, the better it is for all of you to do that. A couple of uh, large pub, uh, large uh, uh, grocery chains are are employee hundred percent employee owned. Uh, there, there are thousands of companies that are owned by ESOPs around the company, and frankly, we're we're trying to see what we what we can do to encourage even more companies to become that way. It, 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 it it's it's a, it's a really good way to, to become owned. Why, well, like Mike? Yeah, even yeah. PG and E. <laughs> We won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the alignment that you're referring to because you, you're all right. It's the alignment, the interests are all aligned in terms of the health of the organization. So that really does a lot. It's, it's part of building a culture uh, for it to work. So let's get into a little bit about how you op both operate together as a team. Um, you've worked together as CEO and chair of the board of Recology for how long and maybe Dennis or Mike, you could talk about how did that come about, your partnership? And then um, what did you have to give more of and what did you have to stop doing in order for your partnership to work? So Mike, you want to start with how did, how did you guys get together? So let me, Dennis has been on our board since I think 2008, has been board chair since uh, 2013. But 
we we originally got together because he was he was stalking me. Um, <laughs> and I think it's more appropriate. Dennis tells the story because he he's the one that started this. So, um, I was leading Deloitte's um, emerging and mid-sized business practice, and I had noticed that you know I think one of the clients that I would like to have was Recology, and so. I guess Mike puts it the best. I've never heard it used that way, but I was stalking him. <laughs> I was finding ways to get to know him. And um, so I invited him to um, AIDS Foundation um, event. And <clears throat> I had picked him up as a client because they needed help. They needed an audit. And um, I persuaded the managing partner of our firm that that was the right thing for us to do. And so we were doing it. And um, fortunately, unfortunately for me, at the dinner, um, he was so touched by the speaker that he said, I want to be on that board. So that was the end of my stalking because then <laughs> my focus turned to try to help Mike get on that board. And he did. And so the rest is history. And eventually when I retired from Deloitte, he called me up one day and said, uh, I need a chairman of the audit committee. And I think it's, you know, you're the guy. So, we laughed about it because he, he turned the whole thing around. And so I don't know who ended up stalking who and who got who, but uh, <laughs> we've been together since. But you've had a great partnership and it's a fun partnership. I can tell by that. So well, um, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And I have to yeah. share with you, um, Evelyn, when, when I became chair, we just looked at each other and we didn't have to say a word. And it's like, it's time. And the, it was time was diversifying our board. We, we basically had a board of seven people and except for two people, it was an all white board. Wow. And I, I think one of the proudest accomplishments we had is in a very short period of time, we had a very diversified board. We had a black, we had a Latina, we had a couple of Asians, we had um, a Hispanic, well, I did say we have two LBGTs um, and with seven people, I, I don't think many people could say with the same pride that we have that I think really and truly we, we had all shades of rainbow. <laughs> yes. I, I was fortunate enough to meet all of you, all of them at a, a dinner that you had in Washington, D.C. Um, and I would have to say you're ahead of your time because certainly that's the focus today is diversification of the boards. And I know, Dennis, you've been working on that quite a bit. Um, to stay with the topic of leadership, what did you have to give up, each of you, to be able to work together as a team? Um, and what did you bring out more of within your own leadership styles? I don't think we gave up anything. Uh, you know, we, we complement each other pretty well. Um, I, I spend my time day-to-day -day running the business. Uh, Dennis uh, leads the board. Um, we make sure that the board is fully advised of the things we're trying to do. We, we review current business, annual plans. We review five-year strategic plans. Uh, uh, all of our acquisitions get reviewed by the board. And, and it's, it's got to be an open book. We want to make sure that... Uh, in part because we're employee-owned, part we think it's the right thing to do. We want to make sure that people get what we're doing, and uh, and that it, there's nothing. We don't try and keep anything secret. We just, you know, certain business matters have to be kept confidential. But uh, sure. among the people that are involved that have to make decisions, everything's on the table, and I think that's why it works because we are we are open with each other. Yeah, Evelyn, I would say that's very true, and I think a lot of that has to do with my own career. Um, and as you know, as, a, as an accountant, as a partner in an accounting firm, uh, I can't afford to have an ego. Um, my role is to be an advisor. As you know, that's where we first met. I served Schwab for 22 years. Yeah. And, and my role was to be advisor to Chuck and to the others. And so I, I never developed an ego of needing to be the point person. So I never really gave up anything. And... I took a lot of pride in mentoring people and coaching people um, and developing uh, future partners. And, and so 
again, I, I, I never felt like I gave up anything. Uh, in fact, I think I died and went to big heaven or whatever, because <laughs> it, it's what I've spent my lifetime doing. That's great. You're following your passion. Um, we've got a lot of message of congratulations in the chat room for both of you. So for those watching, I'd encourage you to submit more questions. Uh, there's a couple of questions around uh, the climate change and how that's affecting recology and COVID-19 and how that's affecting um, uh, recology and the challenges associated with that. Let me throw it out to both Mike and Dennis. First of all, what impact is climate change having on your company? Well, it's, it's, it's a, one of the big reasons why we focus on some of the things we do. Um, uh, we, we long ago said organic matter does not belong in the landfill. You put it there, it's going to form a methane gas. You can capture a lot of it, but you can't capture it all. And what you don't capture is going to become airborne and contribute to the warming. Um, that's why we said if we can take it out and properly compost it, break it down in a in, in that kind of an environment, it can break down without forming those gases, and it can be put back on the soil to pro provide nutrients that the soil really needs. So, so, so it's impacted the way we do things. Uh, we've tried to, we, we've we've tried to move away as much as possible from uh, fossil fuels. Uh, sadly, still using uh, a little bit of diesel. Most of it is uh, is biodiesel. Uh, we're using some natural gases, but we've been working with truck manufacturers for years to try and come up with electric vehicles. So we actually had our, our own made about 15 years ago and it, it was underpowered, didn't work. But uh, uh, we actually own two electric vehicles made now in China. Um, we're working with a local a US manufacturer to try and get more of those done. So we wanna make those kind of changes, but it's, it's impacting all of us. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly believe that Fire, wildfires are getting more intense because the climate has warmed up. It is, it is warmer. It is drier in California. You, you, maybe we should do more with forestry management, but, but we're going to have fires regardless because of the, yes. of the heat. Um, we've had communities that we provide service to uh, ju just this year. Um, Vacaville, up portions of uh, Sonoma County, uh, other portions of Solano County, Butte County, uh, uh, Marion County, Wash uh, Marion County, Oregon, and uh, Jackson County, Oregon, all had impacted, all had fires that have impacted our operations. Uh, we've had employees that have lost homes in three of those four locations just this year. Um, we we need to recognize it's a real problem and 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 start. I hope it's not too late. I hope we we can do things that can at least prevent this from getting even worse because it's pretty bad now. Um, yeah. I really don't like breathing air that uh, has what 300 part particles per million in it that's unhealthy. Um, it impacts us, our communities. It, it's 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 a real problem, yeah. and we've waited too long to do something about it. Yeah. You know, and and Evelyn, I think. Comparatively speaking, in terms of the size of our company, we have one of the smallest percentage of material that goes to landfill. And we probably are, Mike would just say, the, the dominant uh, composing organization in California in terms of you know, processing compost. Yeah. So, so I guess the question, I, I know a couple of years ago, Mike, you and I talked about this when China was refusing to take the a waste from the United States because they said we're full up. You didn't have that problem. Could you talk a little bit about that? Why, what, what foresight you had with respect to your, uh, the cleanliness of your product that uh, you didn't have that issue of uh, China not taking our, our waste? So we, we the, the kinds of products we were selling in, in China, uh, other parts of the Far East as well, uh, were mixed waste papers, old corrugated cardboard, um, some plastics. Um, we, we have always been a high quality provider of those mm -hmm. materials. The, the papers that we, uh, we we do recycle and have available for reuse are are about the cleanest that uh, that that people can find. Particularly the stuff that comes out of San Francisco. Um, part of it is the ethic of the people doing good sorting. Part of it is uh, 
We have really a really high-end uh, MRF uh, material recovery facility that processes that stuff and and gets contaminants out of the paper. Uh, there, there is a problem with some of the plastics that a lot of that single-use stuff. Uh, there's yeah. just not a lot of use for because there's there's too many different types of polymers in it, and um, no nobody's got the program the projects that can. Uh, can properly reutilize those those different types of polymers that are that are blended together and all that that mixed plastic waste. You know, Mike, you've testified before the California Sun and written a related op-ed piece in the Chronicle in an effort to get industries to create products that are truly recyclable or compostable. What can each of us do to help make that happen? And how are you feeling about your ability to move that forward? Well, we, we, we believe that anything that's made should be made in a way that it can be reused, recycled. Um, land, landfills and incinerators ought to be used for just minimal things that, uh, that are just coincidental that can't, can't be made in a way that can be reused. But sadly, um, not every industry believes in that. So. Yeah. After a 60 Minutes episode a couple of years ago, I think it was the end of 2018, um, it was filmed at our recycling plant here in San Francisco. We, we didn't mention us, but it was used the plant. And I, I watched that episode and said, you know, despite all of what we do, it doesn't feel like we're even part of the solution because this, the problem is so bad. And so I wrote that op-ed and, and encouraged the plastics industry to work with us and see if we could come up with some ways to allow that where they could make products that could be more easily recycled that work with us to find ways to recycle them put them back and the problem is that making plastics from virgin material is so much cheaper than anything else they don't want they want to be bothered and so we finally got a meeting uh, with the head of the american chemistry council and you could tell he wasn't interested in anything. So after a while, with no response, we introduced, we worked with legislatures and introduced a couple of bills that went through the process, uh, uh, failed to get through the state legislature this this last year, had failed the prior year, but they they got a second bite at the apple uh, in the second year of the legislative session, failed again. But because we expected that, uh, we introduced, uh, we've, we've, had qualified a ballot measure that was supposed to be on this November's ballot um, uh, that would require plastics manufacturers to make products that could be composted or recycled, phase-in period, some fees on them to allow to to help pay for recycling infrastructure. Um, Because of COVID, uh, we we didn't get our signature gathering done in time, but we, we now have. We've turned in something like 875,000 signatures, uh, a couple hundred thousand more than, than uh, is needed. Uh, those, be- again, because of the election, coming election, that, that will be certified in January. And that ballot measure will appear on the next general election, which will be in 2022. Um, so people can recycle the best you can with the things you get make intelligent choices on what you buy, try and minimize the uh, purchase and use of, of single-use plastics because there's really nothing to do, do with them and they're, they're creating an awful lot of environmental problems that we're just now starting really to understand. Um, and vote support and vote for the ballot measure that we don't know exactly what it'll be called, but something like... Uh, uh, Clean, clean water, clean streets, clean, clean air. Um, you know, stop plastic pr- pollution. But that'll that'll be on the November twenty twenty two ballot. Good. We'll have to have you back so you can talk about it as it gets closer to that. You know, everything that you're doing takes leadership. So I'd like to digress a little bit and talk about your leadership skills between the two of you. So Dennis, you were president of the Commonwealth Club, as we've talked about, um, and you actually started our annual gala. Uh, you've held several leadership roles, both in the corporate and the nonprofit worlds. So what is your super skill that puts you in those leadership roles? And how do you define leadership? Uh, uh, Evelyn, I, I think, and I do believe this, is I don't have an ego. I, I don't need to be the focus. Um, 
I, I, I really believe in team play. I, I was a terrible tennis player. I tried very hard. I, I tried to be a golf, type golf. I quit that. I'm just not good at, you know, sports or anything that is one person oriented. I, I, I hear your son laughing in the background, Dennis. <laughs> I know, I know. It's my 16-year-old, unfortunately. He's cracking up. <laughs> Dennis, stop it. But, and, and so I think because of that, um, I think it's more important for the team to win, for us to accomplish our objectives. And so I've always prided myself in being the person, be, being sort of the director, if you will, or the producer, uh, and, and the person who pushes other people. And, and that, that's been my leadership style. It's always been about the team. That's great. Mike, same question. Because you've been leaders in many roles, chair, CEO of Recology, chair of the board of the California Historical Society, Chamber of Commerce. What's your leadership style? What's your super skill? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really sure there is a style. I, I, I get involved with things and organizations that interest me. Um, and I either buy in and want to help and probably become a little too outspoken and get put into, into leadership positions that I hadn't thought about getting into. Um, but you, you either, either want to be involved and, and do something good or, or you don't. And uh, I mean, I've been involved in organizations that weren't, weren't fits for me that I, I, I left because it wasn't, wasn't doing me or the organization any good, but, but where, where I have an interest of passion, uh, it's, it's, it's just, just want to help. Um, yeah. I, I like to, I don't, I don't think I have a big ego. Uh, uh, I like to tell people that, you know, it's hard to, hard to get really excited about who you are when you pick up other people's garbage for a living. And, you know, we used, we used to, when, when we went into places, uh, we never went in the front door, we went in the tradesman's entrance. So you just didn't, didn't think of yourself as being all that special. Um, I, I still don't. Uh, I, I, one, of, one of my favorite things to do is get out and talk to people that work collecting garbage and recyclables and who work on our sort lines and our facilities. They're real people. They're doing something con constructive and meaningful every day. And I mean, to me, th those are the hard jobs uh, uh, that, that people have to do. Well, the leadership skill that you're um, showing very much is the ability to connect with the people that work with you and for you. And to me, that's an important skill set that any leader has to have. So continuing on, Mike, you're on the executive committee of the Bay Area Council, which of course welcomes business leaders that are committed to working with the public and leaders and other community leaders to keep the Bay Area innovative and globally competitive. Um, so what do you think makes the Bay Area so special, especially in light of COVID? There's a lot of uh, discussion about how many people are leaving the Bay Area or coming and uh, those coming in. So what do you think we can do to make sure that the Bay Area is still the best place to live and to work? Well, it's a fantastic place because other than the last couple of weeks of bad air quality, <laughs> it's been a pretty special place to live. Uh, you don't have to go very far to get to do, go skiing, do water sports, uh, great wines, uh, some of the best food grown in the area. So it's, it's a special place. And... We all know that uh, it, it has attracted some of the best minds in the world. Uh, Silicon Valley is a testimony to that. Um, it's, 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 it is such a great place, and we need to keep it that way. We've, we've <clears throat> seen lots of people leaving uh, when they had the opportunity because of COVID, because yeah. it's too expensive to live here. Um, you know, is that part? Not enough housing, uh, not enough housing in, in the right areas. Uh, th th those are the kind of the Bayer Council addresses where, where to put housing, more of it, uh, how to get people around the area a lot better. Um, and things are, are good, but they need to be a lot better if we're going we're gonna to stay uh, one of the best places to live in the world. Uh, yeah. and, and, and then COVID has thrown a challenge into that. So, for example, a lot of people get around with BART and transport as a transportation. Uh, what are your thoughts on how that's going to turn out as we start to get to whatever normal seems to be? Well, we, 
we, we need to get back to more like how we used to work. Uh, to me, not being able to be in our office and get together with the people that help mm -hmm. make things happen, mm -hmm. uh, help, help feed the culture that makes us who we are is problematic. Um, I like to think that we maybe in the early part of uh, 2021 can get back together and, and do that again. Uh, but we've got to figure out, you know, vaccine or not, I think people should be aware of, uh, of, of your surroundings. Maybe, maybe we should follow, I think it's the Japanese way, uh, where, where you're on a public transit, you wear a mask so that you're not, you're not uh, mm -hmm. spreading germs and viruses around if you can possibly avoid it. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, had to, we had to adjust the things we do and just collect waste. Um, with our workforce. Uh, I, I, I live in a neighborhood that uh, where I get complaints from neighbors through anonymous letters now that uh, are complaining that our, tr our trucks are out too early. But you know, we've got the same situation that everybody else does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We can't have all our employees come in at the same time because then we can't keep them socially distanced. So we've spread start times over a much broader range. People are are coming in really early and some are coming in really late and the route times are spread out over a broader spectrum. And yeah. yes, yes, some of them are in residential neighborhoods when you kind of like to be sleeping, but you know, we think they, they, we've got to keep them safe. So they keep doing their job. They've got family uh, issues with, you know, child care and the like. Uh, they're all, I mean, they're all human beings with, with those kinds of issues. And we've, we've tried to do what we can. It's a sort of knock on wood, uh, we haven't had any cases that we know of that originated from work. There have been a few, very few, thankfully, uh, uh, where people have gotten the, the virus from third-party sources. But um, we've been able, because we've been doing those things, uh, uh, to keep keep the keep the work going and keep keep the cities clean and and get get those products uh, uh, th that we collect recycled, composted or landfill where they have to be uh, because we've done what we needed to do. Um, and it'd sure be nice not to have to do it that way anymore. Yeah, it's certainly a, a difficult challenge many corporations are facing. And in fact, Dennis, um, I know you've served on chaired many boards yourself, including the National Association of Corporate Directors for Northern California. So what do you see as some of the current and challenging topics that are facing directors today and practicing good governance. And, you know, you can also refer back to what Mike was talking about a little bit earlier, the uh, challenge directors have in understanding what the company is doing to keep their employees safe. You know, um, it's interesting you asked that question because just this afternoon, we, we have a risk oversight committee, which is I think very rare among corporate America. Um, more companies should have a, a board committee uh, such as that. And we, we talk about the things that we should be thinking about. Uh, I, I think too many companies are not thinking about the potential risk. They're not thinking about contingency planning. I, I think because we had a contingency plan, nobody could have predicted COVID. But the fact that we have gone through that mental drill, uh, I, I believe that Recology responded to it very, very quickly, um, very well. Um, I think that companies need to be thinking about the unknown. Uh, and, and this, again, is a very good example. This is something that came from nowhere. Um, you, you need to be thinking about diversity, which is a very important topic to me. Uh, our population is changing. Um, the needs of people are changing. Um, the way people look at things are going to be changing. Um, innovation, you, you know, it, it, especially in this area. But think about all the things that we never even thought about. Uh, I, I can think of for myself growing up, or even more recently. Thank goodness we had Zoom. <laughs> you know, and, and this is something that came about because the founder of Zoom was going back and forth, visiting his girlfriend at that time, his wife now. So there must be a better way. And he created Zoom. And talk about timing, you know? Yeah. I mean, wow. uh, they always say that, you know, <laughs> innovation is a result of necessity or something like that. 
Yes. And, and by the way, he's Chinese. He's an immigrant. Right. He, he, right. right. And and he needs so, to be talked a little bit about uh, social contact. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> and, and and you know, interestingly enough, the the potential. Uh, you know, if not for Zoom, what would our kids be doing today with distant learning? And, yeah. and if not for another innovation from the Bay Area, iPads, Chrome, well, you know, we would have a bigger issue with, with our kids today not being able to go to school, yeah. but because they're able to do all this. Uh, and, and so I, I think that we have to constantly be thinking about innovation. We constantly be, need to be thinking about, you know, what is that which we haven't even thought about? And that's going to have continuing ramifications with companies who don't adjust to it, are not nimble enough. And I think that that becomes very, very important. Companies have to be nimble. They have to be reactive. They have to do it fast. So I, I too sit on several boards, and I think the challenge that you're raising is how do you have the, uh, the imagination for understanding what risks might be out there that you're not even aware of, or you think the opportunity is so remote that it would never happen, right? Well, so, you know, we people thought about the pandemic, but what they didn't think about was the government would shut us down for, what is this now, six months? Yeah. So, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and imagine, as I said earlier, imagine, the, it's bad enough the way it is, but, but imagine how much further back it would set our kids, if, if not for kids being able to do things remotely, yeah. and how quickly we've been able to react to it because of you know, the tools that we have today. Um, but I, I, I worry a bit about what's happening in America that from a country that has been a country of innovation, we're playing defensive ball. You can never win playing defense alone if you have no offense, right? And by that, so I, I think about what's happening, the petroleum industry. We do not have high, oh, We froze a little bit, Dennis. Hopefully we can um, bring it back. Um, so let me move over to Mike real quick and so we can have the technical difficulty of Boston of to Washington. Present. Oh, there you, you go. You have to there say you yourself, why? Why? Uh, the whole issue with plastics, why? Well, we have something called the petroleum industry that is fighting for their survival. But they will, they're fighting for their survival at our cost. Right? And so they're killing us with pollution. And now that they can't kill us with pollution, they're going to do it with plastic now. You know, I mean, first it's the air we breathe, and now it's going to be plastic. But they got to keep us going with petroleum, and because they won't give it up. But consequently, just like coal, it's putting America into a defensive mode of trying to protect something that we should not be protecting, and we need to be thinking of the future. Well, I think uh, with uh, ESG being on the screen of many directors now for companies, environment, social, and governance um, that the SEC has come out with and many of the big institutional firms, that discussion is starting to really happen in the boardrooms and they have to happen. Um, this leads to a question around diversity, which has been a big focus of yours, Dennis, but it has ramped up even more so over those uh, last six months. So. Um, talk about how diversity increases or doesn't increase innovation within an organization. You know, for me, innovation started when I was at Deloitte. And we came to the realization, even though we were hiring close to 50% women, that when we looked at the partner pipeline 15 years later, it, it, you know, our women were leaving us. And why were they leaving us? And we recognized we had a very serious problem. And so we had to make changes. And later on, we realized that the whole model also changed because we were hiring more people of minority background. We were hiring a lot more Asians. We were hiring you know, Hispanics and Blacks and 
And again, we were not sensitive to that. And so we started a massive diversity program. And I was very involved. I, I led our diversity initiative for years. And, and as you know, Evelyn, that was one of my top three priorities when I became chair of NACD in Northern California. And I have to say that I'm very, very proud of what we accomplished. You know, the NACD board is diversified. Our speakers are diversified. And we were ahead of the times. And, you know, the state of California now has a law mandating that companies with headquartered in California, public companies with more than seven board members must have certain number of women on the boards and there are certain time deadlines that were set. And now there is a, a law that is uh, awaiting signature by the governor, uh, Assembly Bill 979, that's going to mandate that we're also going to start having to have minorities, Blacks, Hispanics, uh, I'm very proud to say LBGTs, Native Americans, Asians, on boards. And I, I think people having diverse boards, having diversity in management is going to force people, not force, but allow them to think or think differently. Start Because with our changing population, if you don't understand how a Hispanic thinks, what's important to them, um, you're not going to react fast enough to the changing you know, market what the buyers are going to want, what their habits are, what are important to them. And so our, our changing, the changing face of America, I think that management needs to, to also change. I think boards need to change. Uh, you go to hospitals. Have you ever noticed that at one time there were a lot of Jewish names because they were the ones in the best doctors? If you go there recently, you, you'll see that a lot of the names are Asian names. Um, if, if you um, are in the hospital, the nursing staff, there are many, many people of diverse backgrounds. And so all of that is, you know, a lot of the researchers are people of diverse backgrounds. And I'll tell you, thank goodness for all of that. I mean, I'm a big fan of UCSF. And I probably wouldn't be alive today if not some of the tremendous, you know, great uh, research work that's being done. And a few weeks ago, my, my son uh, met a, a young man who went to Lowell High, ended up going to Stanford and Harvard, and uh, he went to UCSF, and he's doing, he's doing medical research, I think stem cells of some sort, and he's in a Mayo Clinic, and he's, wow. he just happens to be Asian, right? And so America, the face of America is changing, and we, we have to be open to that, and we, we have to be, you know, we have to embrace all of that. And well, so, I applaud you for being such a, an outspoken advocate for diversity. Um, you know, another topic that's been really hot lately is the, uh, the history of the United States and the history of California and statues being torn down. Mike, I know you've been um, on the board of trustees of the California Historical Society as their chair of the board. And it's... Um, to, their mission is to empower people to recognize California's rich, diverse past and having it be a meaningful part of our lives today. So given what's been happening with people tearing down statues and wanting to rewrite our past, how are you guys thinking about that and re-educating, if you will, what it really means, what our, what our past means to us? You, you can't get away from what happened. Um, no. There's a lot of things we shouldn't be very proud of, but there are a lot of things we should. Um, some of the things that happened were circumstances of the time. I mean, I, I would never condone slavery. I would never condone the murder of uh, Native American populations just to take their land. But we, we can't escape it. It happened. Let's 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 look forward and do what's right now. But. Everybody under, needs to understand where we came from and, and who we all are and, and what can we do to, from where we are to make things better for, for everyone. Um, that's something we try and focus on in our business. I know 
we, we have a very diverse workforce, but it's, it's mostly at the lower levels. Uh, we have a long way to go still in our management team to, to uh, bring people in to, to uh, educate and promote our, our own uh, uh, into higher level positions. And, and we're, we're going to do that, but it doesn't happen overnight. But those things are helpful. Uh, we can see when, when we have men and women in a room making decisions, there are different thought processes. And, and, and once you hash things out, I think you end up with a better result. And getting people who have just, whether they were rich or they were poor or somewhere in the middle or you know, grew up eating pasta for dinner or rice and beans, you know, we're all, we all, we all approach things a little bit differently and, and getting that variety of ideas together when, when you're in a business with people from all those backgrounds and you're providing service to people from all those backgrounds, it just makes, I think, for, for better results. So we're proud of what we are, but we also want to be even better than, than we are. And, and that's something we're, we know we're going to focus on uh, in, in the next few years, now and in the next few years to, to, make, it, to make it better. Yeah. So, so just to follow up on the burning down of statues, is the historical society trying to do something about that in terms of uh, finding ways to bring them back or honor others who um, might have been missed out in the uh, statues? I, I think the, the California Historical Society um, has a fantastic collection of materials from the, the very earliest days of the state, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen some stuff from uh, Spanish colonial days. Uh, we had an exhibit of uh, uh, meat called Meanwhile in California, where there was, we, we borrowed some materials from uh, the New York's Historical Society, Ham Hamilton, uh, that, that period. Uh, there was a Hamilton statue there, the, one of the guns that was used in the duel was there. But meanwhile in California, the, the California colonial period, uh, with the Spaniards and the things they were doing, uh, all the way through, through the advent of the of the uh, gay uh, activities in in San Francisco and and uh, uh, getting that population more recognized, uh, they have a little bit of everything. But but I I I, I get too excited about history sometimes, and you know, I like to think that. Uh, uh, maybe the North won the Civil War, but uh, we, but we really didn't. They really didn't because they let the Southerners uh, who fought against them uh, get back in power and honor people that uh, that fought against the United States. And that, in my mind, that that never should have been allowed. That's something that uh, the people in leadership of this country failed us all on. That uh, you don't you don't recognize people who turn against this country. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, they should just be forgotten. They should be written yeah. off as traitors. Uh, uh, but let's recognize the people that are doing good stuff for society as a whole. People that invent uh, really great stuff. People that, that bring uh, populations who are maybe downtrodden out, out and, and, and get them, get them uh, uh, better better services, better uh, utilization of, of the rights that we, we should all have. We just want to see everybody have equal opportunity to make the best of themselves the best they can. Nobody's going to get handed anything just because you're X ethnicity. You, you're going to have to earn it, but give everybody that chance. And, and I think that's what we want to promote uh, as, as a society. You know, okay, Dennis, Evelyn, yeah. I, Go ahead, Dennis. I think that we also need to appreciate the richness of our society and and learn as much as we can. And one of the things, articles that I read recently, and I shared it with some people, it was a long article, but it talked about why we have been so successful in the Bay Area with dealing with COVID. And it talked about the cooperation and how people pulled together. But you know, the root of a lot of that was experience that we all went through with the AIDS epidemic and, and what it did to our gay community. People were dying left and right. And I remember that they just, something was wrong and there were terrible things. But, you know, this community pulled together as a result of that. And from that experience, 
they attribute a, a lot of our success to that experience that we went through and how we pulled together and how we worked together. And, and, and it was really you know, heartwarming when you, to read about how UCSF, how Chinese hospitals, how many organizations pulled together, our, our mayor, um, because we learned from the past. And sometimes it's sad when we don't learn from the past. We, we don't ex- acknowledge, for example, the significant contribution made by the Chinese in building the railroad. You, you know, I didn't know until I came to America much later. When people say you don't have a Chinaman's chance, well, what was that? It was because this poor Chinese who came from China, so desperate for work, were the ones that dynamite the, the you know the tunnels. There's not a single picture of the Chinese, you know, when, when they the two railroads met. But yet, it was because of the Chinese workers, and it's starting to get some recognition, who built the railroad from here over to, to Utah, that America was connected and united and made the kind of progress that we did. And so, so many people, you know, we talk about diversity, made a big difference in where we are today in this country. And, and we need to honor that. We need to recognize that. But we also need to learn from that and learn that we're richer because of all the contributions of so many people from all over. And if we would only allow everybody to contribute the best that they can, we would even be a richer country, not, not in terms of financial wealth, but in just in terms of richness in our culture and in, in other ways. Yeah, very much a melting pot. Uh, question from our audience. What advice do you have for people to keep their spirits up during these challenging times? And how do you keep your spirit and resiliency going? You think we are? <laughs> <laughs> You're smiling, Mike. <laughs> um, you just kind of look at the bright side. Uh, hey, you're still alive. We're, we still are, uh, uh, we're, we're still living in, in a really great area. Um, you know, all things pass. Um, I think even if the virus isn't defeated, uh, we're learning how to live with it. Uh, I think we're going to be able to get get out and do more things as a result. Uh, maybe not not everything, but yeah. If, if you don't if you don't look at the bright side, it's, it gets, can get pretty nasty. Um, so I I'm one of these people that focus on the good stuff and what what we can do. Um, and if if there's something you want to do that you can't do right now, well. I'm, Set, set your plans for a future date to go, go do it then. Uh, but there's plenty, plenty of good stuff to do now. Um, uh, great time to reconnect with family. Um, I spent more time chatting with my kids. Uh, there's four of them spread out around the city uh, uh, dur- during this than I ever did before. Um, uh, we're all living in our own little bubbles, so we get together and share uh, some good food and some good wine, uh, whether it's homemade—not the wine, but, but the dinners are homemade—or we go out and get them from some of the really good restaurants we want to see survive. Uh, uh, just keep doing those things. Uh, yeah, family. We so, so watch uh, uh, I count, movie I, together. Do jigsaw puzzles. Keep the brain active. Uh, yeah. uh, I think those are all really valuable things to do. Get it? So the positive thing is that we don't have to commute as much, so we have more time. <laughs> and each day, for me, gets better and better because it gets closer to November third. <laughs> so TikTok, TikTok, you know, November third, you guys, life would be much better as long as you vote. <laughs> so, how do you keep your spirits up, Dennis? You know, I I keep busy. Um, I I keep engaged in a lot of not for profit organizations. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, a lot, and, and I, you know, I, I can't seem to say no. I, I had someone who tried to recruit me yesterday to get involved in fundraising for a hospital building. I said, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. And um, I, I'm not sure he's taking no as an answer. So and he may be on the phone, but um, anyhow. Um, but that's how I keep myself busy. Um, and I, I, I get engaged in things. I get enthusiastic about things. You know, for a while there, I was involved in a group that was work, working on trying to source um, PPEs. Um, now um, I'm engaged in um, a group that um, 
uh, working towards a better tomorrow after November 3rd. Um, I'm involved with a group that's working on uh, revising bylaws. Um, you know, there's no limit to what you can get involved in if you're willing to get involved. And so I, you know, I, I visit my oncologist last week and he was saying to me, well, Dennis, it's been six and a half years since you're cancer free and you're reborn. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, you told me at that time I was going to be reborn um, because I had stem cell transplant. And I, I really feel like I'm only six and a half years old. So <laughs> I feel like I got a lot more energy. So, and, but, you know, I'm thankful every day that I'm alive because, you know, if, if not for research that, and the money that the people in California invested when we approved the proposition for stem cell research, I probably wouldn't be here today talking to you. And so I have a lot to be grateful for. And that's one reason why it's so important for me to make, you know, to do what I can. Uh, just that's my only way of saying thank you for, you know, yeah. each day that I'm alive is to contribute what I can to society. Thank you. That's why I'll tell you, that's why you guys are both uh, our distinguished citizens. So I have a couple of fun questions. Um, you might get this all the time, Mike. So how many people don't understand the meaning of the different colored garbage cans? We have three <laughs> or four of them. Uh, do, you, do you get that question? How many don't understand what, what goes in each bin? Yes, oh, the meaning of the different colored garbage cans. A, a lot of them don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we're, we're constantly re-educating. Um, we, we try and have uh, um, colored uh, uh, Banners on the top that explain what goes in in which. It's, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. If it if it it's if it's going to decompose, it goes in the green bin. If it doesn't de decompose, it doesn't. Like plastics don't belong in there. Glass doesn't belong in there. Um, if it's if it's recyclable, like pretty much any paper, any type of of container, bottles of me of metal, tin, or aluminum, or uh, glass, or or those types of plastics can be recyclable. If it's not, it probably goes in, in the residual cart. Okay, that's a good quick lesson because I'm always confused. Another one, um, somebody drives past the San, San Carlos Recycling Center every day and it looks like quite a big complex. What goes on there that we would be amazed to know? The, I guess we're talking about the San, the San Francisco facility. Yeah. Um, Wow, there's there's there is so much that goes on there. Um, all of the trucks that collect uh, from principally the residential neighborhoods of the city are parked and maintained there, and all the drivers uh, who who drive those trucks and pick up that material leave from there in the morning, come back at night. They fuel up there uh, with compressed natural gas, with uh, uh, with uh, renewable biodiesel. Um, they bring the they bring the uh, uh, organic material there that we then transload into bigger trucks that go off to a compost facility that's way outside the city to, to turn that material into compost. Um, uh, and, and the residual material uh, goes there and also to be hauled off to a landfill. We also have a, a construction waste processing facility there that uh, uh, we've just added. Um, they'll, they'll be operational in probably a week. Uh, we've added some robots that are going to help sort uh, construction waste um, where it can do a, a better job and, and less less strain on human bodies than sadly the human body can um, uh, so we'll be adding some of those to get get more 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 material more material uh, recycled um, uh, we have a household hazardous waste collection facility there um, any residents or small business in the city can bring in paints and motor oils and all the stuff that has toxics in it that you don't know what to do with. And we'll, 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 we'll classify it properly and, and, uh, and dispose of it properly for you. Uh, probably, I don't know, somewhere around 80% of that material is paint. Um, wow. We batch up all the latex paint and it comes out into our, our own staff does this comes out in the one of three colors, kind of an offish white, a grayish color, and kind of a beigeish color. It all depends on how much of everything goes in it. Um, 
And we make that available for groups who want to use it to paint out graffiti or, or paint anything else. So it won't cover as well as, as brand new paint, but it, does, it still does a good job. And, and that's also the place where our Artists in Residence program is based. Um, so could you talk a little this, more about your this, Artists in Residence program? The Artists program? program started in 1989. It was the brainchild of a woman named Joe Hansen who lived in the in Visitation Valley, uh, who started cleaning, sweeping her streets and cataloging in binders all the stuff that she found that, you know, packages and pieces of paper and all this stuff. She, and, and she made the pitch to the city that there should be an art program that dealt with garbage. And we were approached and said, uh, it's one of my very first executive decisions as CEO. Uh, I made it when I was still CFO in 1989. Um, we started the program in 1990 to create an opportunity for local artists to come into our facility, find things that people had thrown away and make art out of it. Um, 200 and something artists later, 30 years later, this program is uh, renowned around the world. Um, there are actually people who think that Recology is an art company that also makes <laughs> compost uh, because uh, we get so much uh, recognition for it. Uh, we've been asked to start, and we've started up similar programs in um, uh, Portland, Oregon, in Seattle, Washington, and in Astoria, Oregon. Um, others are talking to us about it as well, and there have been some attempts to copy it, but because of the leadership we have in that program, um, I think ours is by, by far probably the most successful waste to art program that, uh, that, that exists at this point in time. And um, I'm looking forward to a day when the artist can come back to work because one of the two artists that were involved in the program when we had to shut down was a young man who grew up across the street from us, um, had lost track of him for a while, but he's, he and another female artist are, are working on some in really interesting things that I, I'd only seen in progress because they had to shut down and it's just exciting. We have open studios every, uh, every four months when we're able to, uh, and it's, people are invited to come down and see the work these artists do. It's, this is not just a garbage company. This is a place where resources are looked at as what can be done with them to put them back to reuse rather than considering them waste. And we would love to make everybody that we can contact think that same way about the things you, you no longer want. Thank you. You guys are amazing. I mean, you, uh, your deep commitment to your, your employees and your community and uh, the larger world just really comes through in this conversation. So we have time for one last question. I'll ask both of you this. What does the Commonwealth Club Award mean to you personally? Dennis, you want to go first? Well, Evelyn, it's something I honestly never expected. Um, and but I, for me, it's an affirmation that what I've been doing has been the right thing to be doing. So that's what it means to me is that, you know, it's kind of like a data boy, you know, what, what you've been doing and what you believe in has been recognized. Great. Mike. Yeah, I honestly didn't expect it. I had no like, no clue it was coming, and it's something I never would have thought about trying to get because, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a garbage man. Um, trying to do the right thing with with stuff that people no longer want. But when I heard it, it was, it was being awarded. Um, I mean, my heart kind of skipped seeing seeing uh, the list of people. I, I, I know George Schultz. I've met Leon Panetta. I was happy to quickly say hello to Madeline Albright. But people like that have been honored with this award and think that I now have something in common with them. It, uh, yeah, like Dennis said, it makes me feel like I'm, maybe I did do something right uh, in all these years. And uh, um, it, it, it makes me feel good. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yes, and, and you, you are in great company because the names that you just gave out are people who are committed to not just the community, but to the world. And uh, you guys deserve to be there. So our thanks again go to, and congratulations to Mike Giacomo and Dennis Wu of Recology.
And we also want to thank our viewing audience. You've uh, asked some great questions. We want to remind you that November 9th, the club will salute another of our Distinguished Citizen Awardees, the Honorable Rod Diridon, Emeritus Executive Director of the Mineta Transportation Institute and Chair Emeritus of the California High Speed Railway Authority. Future programs will honor uh, Lori Dax and the Bechtel Foundation and Dr. Matthew State, John Pritzker and UCSF. And please also join us, as I mentioned earlier before, we have our virtual gala Friday, October 16th at six o'clock at the Commonwealth Club and it's free. So come on and sign on. It's gonna be an inspiring hour of powerful and engaging conversations with some of our Bay Area's favorite thought leaders and celebrity guests. Emmy award-winning broadcast journalist, Jan Yanahiro will be our gala host and special guests include Governor Jerry Brown, Chef Jacques Pepin, Pepin, Congress people, authors, actors, chefs, and many others. So please visit our Commonwealth Club site, commonwealthclub.org for further details. I'm Evelyn Dilsaver. Thank you, stay safe, and in honor of our guests, please recycle. Good night, thank you. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.